So the first is 1 Corinthians 2, 10b to 16. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? but we have the mind of Christ. And the second reading is 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 11. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not know what you want to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Thank you, Russ. Do keep uh, those open. Perhaps keep a thumb in one of them and have the other one open in front of you. As Tom said, the Holy Spirit is a huge topic to try and cover in a few minutes. Um, and uh, I'm not going to try and do all of that. It, it's worth noting, though, as he said, that there were quite a number of different questions about the Holy Spirit which people raised uh, when we said you can choose what we are going to preach on. And so I'm just going to say five things. And I'm going to have to say most of those five things quite briefly. Uh, and that probably means that you will potentially have more questions at the end than at the start, possibly because there are some things I don't have time to talk about, and you might have questions about that, possibly because 
that um, just by spending a little bit of time on some of these things, it raises questions and you want to think about them some more. So if you have questions, jot them down, uh, make a note of them somewhere, and um, we can maybe pick them up later on. Uh, so five things. Number one, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God, and he is eternal. I want to start there. It's kind of an obvious thing to say in some ways, but it's important uh, because people do uh, think of the Spirit in some different ways. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not an it. He is personal. Uh, the Nicene Creed, which is one of the summaries uh, which Christians use uh, of what it is that we believe, this one goes back uh, nearly 17 centuries, uh, you'll recognize these words. It says, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. Some of you will know that off by heart. That's who he is. He's the Lord. The Holy Spirit is God himself. He's the third person of the Trinity. And his work is to give life. Now, quite frankly, we could spend all our time just thinking about that this evening and just unpacking what that means. Let's just note in passing, because he's God, he's eternal. The Spirit appears in the opening verses of the Bible, the first two verses of Genesis, if you remember, as God, Father, Son, and Spirit prepare to create everything that there is and to give life to everything. And we're told there is the Spirit hovering over the waters. So he's there right at the beginning. And then in a world which becomes full of death as a result of human rejection of God, starting with Adam and Eve, continuing with everyone else who follows, including the rest of us, the Spirit gives new life. So the prophet Ezekiel, writing a few hundred years before the time of Jesus, uh, he looked forward to Jesus coming in the kingdom. And through Ezekiel, God said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and keep my laws. That's in Ezekiel chapter 36. So the spirit is about giving new life. Uh, Jesus himself says in John chapter 3, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. He is God himself, that same spirit who gave uh, life to everything that lives right from the beginning of creation, the same spirit who sustains our lives today, the same spirit who gives us new and eternal life through faith in Jesus. Number one, he is the Lord, he is God. Number two, and I'm sticking to the floor here. Excuse me. Number two. The Holy Spirit is eternal. No, that was number one. He's God. He's eternal. Number two, the Holy Spirit is here now. Um, he's present with us. Uh, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, his Spirit is with you. So there is no extra spiritual category of Christians. You know, ordinary Christians here, uh, born-again Christians here, or um, ordinary Christians here, Spirit-filled Christians here. The only way to receive eternal life and to be filled with the Spirit is to come to the Father through faith in the Son. And you cannot come to the Father in faith without also being moved and filled with the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus rose from the dead, first Easter day, you'll remember this, um, John chapter 20, he appears to his disciples, and the first thing that he does is breathe on them. And the word for breath and the word for spirit in the, the languages of the Bible 
It's the same word. Uh, Jesus breathes on them and says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Receive the Holy Spirit. And you may also remember from Acts, which we've been reading in our morning services recently, um, that just a few weeks after that, before Jesus ascends to heaven, uh, he says to those same disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Power to be my witnesses. And then shortly afterwards, Jesus ascended to heaven, and at Pentecost, that power came as the Spirit came down on his people. Remember, it's not that the Holy Spirit didn't exist before then, and suddenly um, he's appeared, and um, no one ever knows who he was before. Uh, he's the Lord. He's eternal. He was there in Genesis 1. He's appeared at all kinds of times through the Old Testament, speaking through different people, bringing God's word through prophets, giving life. But now he is present within every believer in his church, and that applies whatever nation those believers come from, um, not just those who belong to a particular nation, the nation of Israel. If you remember the people of God in the Old Testament, they had to go to the temple, didn't they, to worship God, the tabernacle before the temple, because that was the place where God sent his presence to dwell, where they could meet with him. But that temple is gone. Um, it was destroyed, as Jesus said it would be. But it was only ever there to point people to the real temple, who is Jesus himself, the real place where God is with us. Now, that's why we call him Emmanuel. We remember that at Christmas, don't we? We were singing this morning, O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, God with us, and be with us, and dwell with us. And as Tom said at the beginning, although Jesus is no longer with us physically today, because he's at the right hand of the Father in heaven, he is within us by his Spirit, giving us life, and enabling us to live for him. So he's God and he is here. Two building blocks, basic building blocks for us. Thirdly, and if you turn to the first passage we heard read, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Holy Spirit enables us to understand God and what he says. Uh, to understand God and the world and in fact everything about life. We need the Spirit's work for that. Before we get to chapter 12 and 13 and 14, which are the famous famous, if you like, Holy Spirit chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians. It's worth pausing at these verses in chapter 2, verses 10 to 16, um, which in some ways is the most spirit-focused section of the whole book. Um, you only have to glance at the text and you can see the word is there again and again. The background to what Paul is saying here is that he's writing this letter, one of the letters in the New Testament. He's writing to a church where there is real division about all kinds of things. If you know the letter to the first letter to the Corinthians, it's not one of those ones, um, sort of like Philippians uh, or Ephesians, where he's writing to Christian friends to, to say, well done, I'm thankful for you, and to teach them and to build them up. It's one where he's writing a bit more like Galatians, where he's, he needs to say some hard things to a church which has gone off the rails. And he says here in verses 12 and 13, what we've received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Quite a tongue twister, isn't it? But it's telling us the Holy Spirit is all about communicating things to us, speaking to us, showing us things from God in ways that we can understand and then share with one another. He is all about giving understanding to his people. 
And I want to say being spiritual is therefore about receiving what God has given to us by his spirit and communicating it with one another in spirit-taught words. Uh, Tom asked you earlier on, um, who do you think of when you think of someone who is spiritual? And what is it that they are like? I, I don't know who came to mind for different people, if it was a particular person or just a type of person. It is quite common, isn't it, these days, sometimes for, to, to hear someone describe themselves as being spiritual but not really religious. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody describe themselves like that, by which they often mean something like this. You know, I'm spiritually open. I, I'm sure there must be something out there. I'm not sure if there's a God or, or gods, but I've rejected organized religion. I don't want anything to do with that. Um, I'm finding my own path. Maybe that would have described you at one point. Maybe you know people who would say something like that. Reading this passage in 1 Corinthians 2, I want to say the Bible would call people like that religious but not spiritual, rather than the other way around. Uh, because you can't be spiritual without the Spirit. You can't be spiritual without the Spirit. Um, many people are seeking meaning. Many people are looking for someone or something to worship. But doing it without the Holy Spirit, who we're told here is the giver of understanding. He is the one who can make us spiritual. To be spiritual means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, according to what the Bible would say to us. So the Spirit is God. The Spirit is here. The Spirit gives us understanding. Fourthly, I'm going to spend a bit longer on this one. The Holy Spirit gives gifts, and we should pray for those gifts. And you might like to flip across to that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, in Corinth, their worship was in chaos. Um, it's hard to imagine exactly what it must have been like to go to church. I mean, we probably didn't have a church building as such. But what was going on in their meetings? And we haven't got time to read the whole of that book of 1 Corinthians, but if you read it for yourself, you'll pick up on some of the things that were going wrong. Uh, in their church. It seems, reading the letter, that they were more interested in kind of showing off uh, how spiritual they were, how impressive they were, almost competing with one another to be more spiritual, uh, and more interested in doing that than in finding out how they can worship God more appropriately. Uh, in particular, it seems they were particularly keen on speaking in tongues, such that, uh, as we'll get to this in a minute, it was quite hard to follow what was going on in their services because no one could understand or be encouraged. And Paul wants to say to them, look, this is not glorifying God and it's not giving glory to his spirit. And so he writes to them, and he writes to them in detail here. We just heard verses 1 to 11 or 1 to 12 there. But we've got three chapters, which I'm not going to wade all the way through, but chapters 12, 13, and 14 are particularly focused on these things. And they're one of the major sources we've got for understanding the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, several key things, though, that we can pick out here quite easily. Um, first of all, if you look at the first three verses of chapter 12, again, it's reiterating the Holy Spirit is for everyone. So in verse 3, Paul writes, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, if you believe that Jesus is Lord, if you are a Christian, then that is evidence that the Spirit has been at work in you. There aren't two kinds of Christians, some with the Spirit and some without. It's for all Christians. Now, the second thing in there in verses 4 to 11 is that there are, though, some quite different gifts. 
There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. Verse 7, they are all given for the common good. In other words, if you have been given a gift of the Spirit, not just for your own self, you've been given it for the benefit of everyone else in the church, for the benefit of others. We won't all have the same gifts, but we will all have gifts of some sort for each other. And there's a bit of a list, list of some gifts in verses 7 to 10. It doesn't say these are the only gifts. There are some more mentioned later on in the chapter and elsewhere. Um, it's quite hard to understand what some of them mean, and there have been huge debates in the church about exactly what it means to have some of those gifts. Others are quite obvious. But verse 11, it's the Spirit who determines who gets which gifts. They're gifts. You don't get to choose your own Christmas present. Well, maybe in some households you do. Um, but when it comes to spiritual gifts, it is the Spirit who gives them. And then thirdly, and this is verses 12 to 26, so it's um, a huge chunk of the chapter, Paul puts such an emphasis on saying, we need each other's gifts. I need your gifts, and you need my gifts. And this is the whole section about being part of the body of Christ and how, of course, we need our whole bodies. You know, the foot can't say to a hand, I don't need you, because the hand can do things that the foot cannot do. The eye cannot say to the hand, verse 21, I don't need you. Now, what good is a football team where every player wants to be a striker? It doesn't work, does it? Um, there's a comment from the Villa fan here on my left, which I'm, I don't know what he said, but I'm just going to ignore the mumble over here. What good is an orchestra where everyone wants to play the trumpet? You know, you may like the trumpet, you may be good at the trumpet, but imagine if everyone wants to play the same instrument. It doesn't work, does it? The goalkeeper also ne uh, needs the wingers. You know, the, the, the trumpet player needs the violinists to make the desired sound. The church needs people who are differently gifted by the Holy Spirit. Um, I need you and what God has given you, and you need me, and we need one another, like I said. And there is something very powerful in this chapter about unity, but not uniformity. Now, we're not the same. We're not supposed to be the same, but we're supposed to be working for the benefit of one another. And there's something about diversity but not division. It's good when we're different, um, but not when we then start squabbling over who is better or who has a more important role or gift to play in the church. And then at the end of chapter 12, Paul emphasizes some gifts in particular which have a significant role to play in the leadership of the church. Not that the people who have those gifts are more important or better in any way, but he gives a kind of ordering of things which are significant and needed for healthy church life. Um, some people argue that the gifts listed there in those last few verses, uh, some of them at least in chapter 12, were largely gifts for the early church and don't apply today. I don't think that, but we don't have time to debate that today. We'll have to do that one uh, later on over coffee or maybe even need more time and need to go to the, to, to the Rosen Crown for a beer to do that one. Uh, my view is that we should expect to see the gifts of the Spirit like these exercised in the church. But Paul ends there by saying we should eagerly desire the greater gifts, verse 31. What does he mean by that? Well, back in chapter 2, remember, the emphasis on being spiritual was on receiving what God says and communicating it to others in ways that we can all understand. And interestingly, in chapter 12, we have all these different gifts, but when Paul starts talking about those that are first in the church, he starts with apostles, prophets, 
and teachers. Now, it's not 100% clear exactly how he differentiates between what those three different groups did. But it is striking that he begins with gifts which are all about communicating the gospel, the word of God, clearly and effectively within the church. Um, chapter 13 then says, all of this, you need to do it in love. That's the most important thing. I haven't got time to look at that now. You all know that passage. It gets read at most weddings, and it's great to hear it at weddings. But it's interesting, isn't it, that it actually comes in the context of talking about a church which is fighting over how to be spiritual. And Paul says to them, no, uh, the greatest of these is love. That's what you need most of all. And then in chapter 14, which we didn't read, but you might just like to flick forward to, again, it's all about gifts, and it's got an emphasis on the gift of prophecy, Again, have a long conversation about exactly what constitutes prophecy, what constitutes speaking the word of the Lord in that way. And Paul spends most of chapter 14 comparing the gift of prophecy with the gift of speaking in tongues, different languages for the praise and glory of God. And essentially, his conclusion is that tongues are great primarily for the person who is speaking in those tongues or languages. If you look at verses 4 and 5 and 6. That's the person who primarily is helped when, when they're able to speak in tongues, which is a really good thing. But he says, actually, in church, I would rather, on the whole, that you did this at home and seek prophecy when you're all meeting together because everyone can understand it and be encouraged by it and grow in their faith by it. In fact, in verse 18, he says he's thankful that he speaks in tongues more than all of them, not because he wants to boast, but he then says, in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in another language. Again, huge amounts that we could say about all of this, which I'm not going to try and do because it would be another half an hour on the sermon. Um, let's talk about it later on. You might have questions about this. But again, Paul's point is about understanding. And in many ways, if we want a summary of all of this, we get it in the last two verses of chapter 14, which is really helpful, verses 39 and 40. Therefore, he says, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a, fit in a fitting and orderly way. Uh, and Andrew Wilson, um, who is a, a minister and a writer who is often very helpful in his book on 1 Corinthians, is particularly helpful there, here. He's a I guess he would probably describe himself as, in some ways, both a conservative and a charismatic. Um, he says this, These two statements not only provide a crisp summary at the end of chapter 14, but they also provide a striking challenge to both the charismatic and conservative sections of the church. Conservatives, he says, need to hear that prophecy should be pursued and languages should not be forbidden. Charismatics, he says, need to hear that everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way with a focus on understanding, building one another up, and the lordship of Christ. That's a very helpful way, I think, to think about the gifts of the Spirit and how they are used in the church. All right, I'll see you in the pub later on to pick that one up. The Holy Spirit gives gifts, and we should pray for them, and we should make space for them. We may need to find ways in which we can do that more effectively in some of our meetings together. But lastly, and I'm deliberately finishing with this one, um, the fruit of the Spirit are the clearest sign that God is at work in someone's life. 
Um, someone in one of the questions we had sent in asked, what does living by the Spirit look like? Now, it's important, I think, that we talk about spiritual gifts. Um, and as I said, I'd love us to find ways of, of creating space to explore how God may be gifting different members of the congregation and making sure that that is valued and received. And at the same time, we need to recognize that while the gifts can sometimes seem shiny and exciting, they're not actually the sign of how mature we are in Christ. As I said, the Corinthians had some pretty spectacular and out there stuff going on in their church. I imagine it was a kind of church where people might want to go and see what was going on because they would hear stories about it. But Paul, in chapter 3, calls them babies and tells them they need to grow up. And he does that because the way when we can see that the Holy Spirit really has got hold of someone and is making a difference in someone's life is in the way they live. Um, when, when I think of what it is that makes someone spiritual, I often think of Christians I know, particularly older Christians, who have faithfully kept going. Um, they've read their Bibles, they've prayed, they've been through some hard times. And actually, their life might not be spectacular, but you can see there is something really kind of peaceful and deep and of huge value that has happened in them. And Paul calls this the fruit of the Spirit. The idea being it, it's like the apple trees over in the vicarage garden. You know, you can't just take a, an apple seed, stick it in the ground, and expect to be, a, be able to then pick some fruit and eat it. It takes years, doesn't it? The seed has got to grow into a sapling. The sapling has got to grow into a strong tree. It needs watering, it needs sunshine, it needs food, it needs care. Sometimes it needs pruning. And over time it will produce fruit. And with the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, we will gradually produce fruit. We won't completely produce all the fruit we need, not until we are in heaven. But gradually... Nevertheless, we will begin to see more and more love, more joy and more peace, more patience, kindness and goodness, more faithfulness, gentleness, more self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit of Christ. And that, of course, comes from Galatians chapter 5, which is another of Paul's letters. And I didn't have that read this evening, partly because we preached the whole of Galatians, didn't we, back in 2020 during the first lockdown. And uh, in fact, you can go back and hear the sermon that Tom preached on the fruit of the Spirit passage in Galatians 5. I imagine it's on our YouTube channel still somewhere. Tom's looking slightly uneasy about that. You should definitely go and listen to it, though, because it was a very helpful sermon. Because it's when we keep in step with the Spirit, as that passage says, which means letting the rhythms of bringing our prayers to God, of hearing what he says day by day, uh, seep into our lives and into our souls like a tree receiving water and sunshine. Then we become more like Jesus, more understanding of him and more ready to serve him. Because that's what having real life looks like. And right back to where we started, that's what the creed says, isn't it? We believe in the Holy Spirit who is the Lord and the giver of life. Well, there's a few things about the Holy Spirit to get us thinking. And we're going to take a pause. I think we're going to sing again now, Tom. Um, so if the band would like to get ready just to, to lead us in a moment. Uh, as we sing, in fact, we're going to, we're going to sing um, the, the song, which is a version of the Creed, although I don't think it's got that line in it. Um, that's just the way it goes, isn't it? But if you've got something which has landed with you and you thought, that didn't quite make sense, or I've got another question about that, 
Well, that's something I want to follow up and go and ask Rob over coffee, or even better, ask Tom. No, that, that's fine. Just, just make a note of it, whether it's a mental note or on your phone, or jot it down um, as we continue to praise God as we sing now. So let's stand as we sing. <laughs>